Welcome to the 416th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Well, I have another race added to the menu. So next month, February the 9th, we're going to do a 50-miler in Texas, followed by our Treasure Coast Marathon in Florida, in Stewart, Florida. Time to sign up for that if you want to come and visit us. And then following that will be another race in Texas, probably the 50-mile distance. And then we got into the Leadville Race Series 50-miler, the Silver Rush 50-mile race in July. So that's going to be the biggie, back to the mountains, back to the high elevation. So um, this is going to be a serious test of my ability to run at elevations for a prolonged time within time cutoffs. So a lot of training is going to start. Again, the biggest bucket list will be the 100-mile race, hopefully the following August, if possible. So that's the long-term plan. So I am back to increasing my mileage and got that tire out every other day, increasing the distance I'm pulling the tire down the street. I live on a little cul-de-sac, so up and down. And then uh, back to the treadmill, putting it up to 15% grade and walking, trying to get um, good at power hiking up very steep inclines. I know from the last Leadville Marathon that, you know, just a short little stench of that is not going to be near enough. So I really have to increase the duration of those walks um, and get my power walking up nosebleed inclines <laughs> down a little better. So lot to learn, lot to look forward to, um, lot to mental training to get uh, ready for the highs and lows of long distance running, but I'm excited about it. Here in Florida, we're having some nice cold temperatures. Tower Garden has tomatoes on it and peppers. There's uh, raised beds have some tomatoes and uh, some um, daikon radishes growing, some herbs. So those are, are starting to all come back. Papayas are coming back. Don't know if the mangoes are going to have any blooms or not this year because of the hurricane, but, but we'll see. So this past weekend, I was not a doctor and I was not a runner. Matter of fact, I skipped two days of running. I was a mom mom. Um, I had my first babysitting. Um, Addie and Nathan went to a wedding, and Michael and I got to babysit Caleb for the weekend. So I was truly a mom-mom for the weekend. And it's, it puts things in, into a different perspective, but I got to do a little doctor observation as well um, as just enjoy everything uh, through the eyes of a two-and-a-half-year-old. So we had great fun, great times, and I wanted to share a little bit about the observations. And any of you that are grandparents out there, you know what everybody always says, that being a grandparent is better than being a parent because you get to be on the outside looking in, and um, you get to go home eventually, and things are calmer, and you have the experience on your side. And it's true. Um, you know, I remember when Addie was small, uh, a baby, um, you know, it was all about um, a jar with all the colors in it and Dr. Spock and what to, what, uh, to expect in the first year was the big book out uh, in the early 90s when Addie was born. 
And you know, I can remember my mother saying, you know, when I was, you know, to see if the book in, agreed with what's going on, she's like, not everything's in the book. And, and that is true. And my mom and my babysitter, who was older for Addie, um, you know, they did things that I didn't see coming that worked quite well. And I, you know, um, it, it was funny looking back on it. But even back then, if you got a kid to eat and you got some different colors and mainly it was baby food and then, you know, some solid food broken up really small and fed a lot different from today. Caleb has been plant-based his entire existence and he has experienced textures and eating on his own from the very beginning when he transitioned into eating foods. And initially Addie fed him one thing at a time so that he could learn the taste and you could see whether he was going to tolerate it or he liked it and you could you know, see what's coming. But he never has he's he's never refused anything for the most part because he's experienced all these different textures uh, and chewing and different things in his short time as opposed to back in the day when everything was smashed for a long period of time and kids went from baby food to hot dogs and kid food before they ever experienced adult food and very few kids were given whole stalks of broccoli or carrots or cauliflower that was the different textures and certainly you know beans were not a familiar food back in the day um, and you know people talk to talk today about well you know kids need fat which they do and kids children need more fat than adults um, they essentially they need essential fatty acids for brain development even kids in the, in the in neonatal intensive care unit are given olive oil omega-3s and they've been shown to increase brain development. But most people don't think about where the fat sources of food that their children eat comes from. And if you go anywhere down the aisle, in the cereal aisle, most of them are genetically modified fats or seed oils, genetically modified soybean, palm oil, uh, corn oils, high fructose corn syrup, gen genetically modified. And nobody looks at it. They look at it if their kid will eat it and they get enough calories in. And it eventually leads to low textures. We know that children today, um, you know, of this century basically, and last century, there's an increased need for braces in almost every kid because the jaw doesn't develop. We have the same number of teeth that we've had for um, thousands of years, yet they don't fit in our mouth anymore because we don't develop our jaw. We go directly from nursing to soft foods. You see kids with, um, you know, the juice boxes, kids with the packets of pureed food, um, and then on to Happy Meals and the Cheez-Its and the goldfish, of course, then the hot dogs and then the fast foods. And it's, you can see how, you know, the childhood development and all the toxins that little body has to digest and eliminate and those little cells that we talk about in class you know those pure cells become loaded with metabolic waste at an earlier and earlier year because they're eating so many processed chemically made foods at an early age 
the same way with eating patterns um, children develop. If they're just continuously fed food, then they don't develop a mealtime pattern um, as opposed to sitting down and eating at the table, learning to sit at the table, learning to use utensils, learning to eat. And so it was really easy with Caleb because all of this was in place and he ate what we ate. There was no special Caleb food. It was just the food that I would have made for myself or, you know, anybody else around. He enjoyed it as well, including Thai food. He, children, babies don't graze. Little kids don't graze on their own. That's a learned behavior. Um, certainly, you know, when kids get up from a nap or they've been playing, there is, um, you know, perhaps some um, irritability that they can't express that sometimes is due to they just need something to eat. Um, and, and so observing that and, you know, providing a nutritious, uh, nutritious food usually takes care of that, but it doesn't require the constant ingestion of calories. So you can see how our food behaviors become learned over time. Um, and probably by the time kids get in high school, when you can go to a fast food restaurant or get what you want, and then certainly in college, eat everything you want, um, it doesn't matter what the quality is, um, sets kids up for poor eating patterns later in life. So if you're someone that grew up in an environment that really didn't experience much in the way of different textures, you know, you may have grown up in a place where um, there wasn't a lot of variety. It was meat, a potato, and, um, you know, maybe green beans or there, you know, or things where maybe it's hamburgers, hamburger helper and such. You didn't experience a lot of different textures, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, a difference of all those things. You can see how I can translate to poor eating behaviors as you get older. Similar thing as far as eating patterns, eating for comfort, um, as opposed to, you know, if, if kids are rewarded because they did do something well with food or they're consoled with food, you can see how that can translate later in life. Typically, he would start out in the morning when he got up with a little yogurt and fruit, so an unsweetened almond milk-based yogurt with a variety of chopped up fruit. We had um, raspberries, papaya, I think there was pineapple on some occasion, um, maybe banana. This gave me time to, um, we made pancakes one day, so a whole grain pancake that again, more fruit uh, along with the pancake. Um, kids need more fat, so we used some almond butter on the pancake and a fruit spread. Um, I did a tofu scramble with nutritional yeast, um, you know, uh, a tiny bit of avocado oil for him for the fat and the omega-3s, um, along with fruit. We did um, sourdough bread, avocado toast. Those were breakfast foods, lunch food, um, broccoli, carrots, um, noodles with a Thai sauce. Uh, we did a potato carrot cheese sauce over rice and white beans and broccoli. So you can see, you know, a variety of food that is just food that we all ate um, and he enjoyed as well. He ate cauliflower with a um, colored pepper um, sauce, sweet and sour uh, sauce over that. 
uh, as well as sweet potatoes, um, you know, again, baked tofu. So nothing, nothing really phases him as far as the, what he's offered, and it makes it really, really easy. But you really have to watch, you know, when you go shopping for kids, you know, typically, you know, if you want something besides water, you have to find juice that doesn't have corn syrup in it uh, and just juice. Uh, a lot of juices have more apple juice than anything else. So, we, you know, we try to find juices that have a variety of, of fruit in them to have, you know, something a little different now and then uh, from uh, water or uh, soy milk. But, uh, you know, he learns by watching. When we went to the playground, he, he learned a lot more watching other kids than he did from us trying to get him to do things. Um, but at the dinner table, he eats because of what he observes. Um, he likes sauces. You know, he's learned to see that people have sauces, so he wants a sauce. He likes to dip things. Um, so having a dip that is a healthy type um, version of, of, you know, something to dipping, even in salsa. He, he, he liked that as well. So um, it's just what kids are exposed to, and it makes it a lot of fun when you don't have to narrow things down just to kids' food. One of the best parts about last weekend and about being a mom mom was being able to go to the playground and to play in the house on the floor. When I hired my first babysitter, I actually had her get on the floor to make sure that she could get on the floor with Addie to play. In reality, she did get on the floor and got back up, but I'm pretty sure she never got on the floor to play with Addie. She might have put Addie on the floor when she was little, and then for the most part she sat on the couch because that's really all she could do comfortably. She sat in a chair and pushed Addie in a swing, so she made do with the mobility that she had. But how nice it is to be able to go to the playground and do things, do the slides, do the obstacle course, crawl in and out, do some running, play ball, get on the ground. And those are things in mobility that people lose as they get older, and it's really important to be able to do. Um, you know, I see people with uh, throw their back out because when they get down on the ground or they're, or they're lifting, their, their hamstrings are tight or their hip flexors are tight. So doing all these different motions with your kids or grandkids, it's really important to move things that you wouldn't necessarily move in your day job uh, or what you do on a daily basis. So it was great fun to be able to, to play and observe him learning to do different things. I know it can be hard for people that um, get their grandkids or there are families that are blended families to live together. So the parents, the grandparents and the kids and the grandkids all live under one household. And maybe the grandparents are becoming plant-based, but the kids aren't and people are fussy eaters or there's a new family and the adults are becoming plant-based and the kids aren't plant-based and how to make all that transition. But, you know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be uh, made into a thing. It can be just introduced as good food. No one can differentiate whether you're cooking with cow's milk or soy milk. Potato cheese carrot sauce over broccoli is just as good. Nacho cheese sauce made with roasted red peppers, oats, nutritional yeast, some garlic, paprika much better than the chemical experiment that you buy in a jar 
yet taste the same, and now you're introducing roasted red peppers to kids. Um, you're getting potatoes and carrots on top of another vegetable. And again, nobody, you don't really have to discuss it. It's just the way that you cook. Putting foods out for kids to try, cutting them up, and allowing them to pick them up often makes kids more apt to try things, you know, cutting up apple slices, cutting up oranges, making a fruit salad, putting it in yogurt, are a good way to transition kids into more healthy eating that you, and they don't necessarily notice what, what they're eating. Constipation in kids is virtually eliminated if they're eating a high-fiber, high-vegetable diet, um, you know, and, and without the dairy. Little kids that have soy milk are much less, little girls are much likely to get breast cancer. Little boys are much likely to get prostate cancer later in life um, if started on soy milk and soy products at an early age. I had someone with a really high glucose this week tell me that the reason why their glucose was elevated is that they had too many carbs. And I said, what were the carbs? And they replied, candy, pasta, and bread. And then I replied back in the text, what were on the carbs? And, you know, it was a meat sauce. It was olive oil and butter on the bread. Um, you know, it was chocolate, nougat-type candy. Um, so it wasn't really the carbohydrates that got the sugar going, but it was the excessive amount of calories in general and the excessive amount of fat in general that drove the, the problem more so than carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are always thrown under the bus and a lot of people don't even realize, realize what carbohydrates entail. I don't think that I've ever had anybody tell me that they eat too much fat. Um, somehow, as a society, we are, uh, it's ingrained that we need good fat and we need lots of protein. And the reality of it is we don't really have to worry about our macronutrients that much. It's actually getting, it's the amount of calories that we get in uh, and, the, and where that food comes from and the micronutrients that they're carrying is what is really, really important. But, you know, nobody eats just olive oil. You know, people say oil is healthy or olive oil is healthy. Nobody just eats butter. They say that butter, you know, is better than seed oils. And there's never been a head-to-head -head study, butter versus seed oils. Um, they're all um, have detrimental effects as far as inflammation, saturated fat. So there's not, you know, there's not a healthful uh, processed butter that is something that people need to consume to get adequate amounts of healthy fats. We can get all the omega-3s we need from greens and pinto beans and flax seeds or chia seeds or hemp seeds. We don't have to worry about eating a stick of butter or um, making sure that we're, you know, putting olive oil on everything that we consume. And, you know, the topic of olive oil, uh, just as a side, it's very difficult to find olives that, you know, olive oil that's, that's really true. So most people that use oils to cook with aren't really getting any kind of a pure oil with good polyphenols and good flavonoids that are antioxidants. You're getting a hodgepodge of, of processed oils that were made in a factory and most of the goodness, if there was any, um, is, is really cooked out of them. So 
there's no real need to use any of those things, uh, and it doesn't really do anybody any favor. You know, like I said, with Caleb, he eats some avocado um, mashed up on toast. Um, we don't make gu you know guacamole and dish it out by the heaping spoonfuls. It's spread. So if you want to put a half an avocado in your salad, I don't see any problem with that. But if you're going to the store and buying prepared avocado dip that probably is cut with oil or prepared hummus that is cut with a bunch of oil, now you're starting to get into things that are calorie-dense and, and unhealthy. It's, it's pretty funny. There was a study just, uh, just published in JAMA that looked at healthy eating patterns, and they, uh, it was the nurses' health study population. So there were 75,230 women and 44,000 men, and they looked at things like cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, chronic lung disease, death from those, death from all causes. And they looked at the dietary history, and they described healthy eating patterns as um, looking at total fruit, whole fruit, total vegetables, greens and beans, whole grains, dairy, protein foods, seafood and plant proteins, and fatty acid. And then they looked at the four moderation groups such as refined grains, sodium, sugar, and saturated fat. And the people that ate the more of the you know healthy eating patterns did better from respect to life, these lifestyle diseases. The funny thing that is I find is everybody argues about keto versus plant based, but the reality of it is this healthy eating pattern that consists mainly of a plant based diet was shown in a large nurses cohort study over many years. It was from nineteen. Uh, 86 to 2020, that people did better. So um, I would say better, and then could you do best by eliminating the dairy and the, the meat proteins? And I'll say, you know, I would say yes, that you can even do better. Um, and some of that allows you to, but there's no talk of, you know, how, much, how many of the other bad things that you can eat, how much of the oils that you can eat. Um, so it's looking at these basic foods that we know make us healthy. The problem is then when we add a bunch of stuff to them to make them not healthy or ultra-process them to make them non-healthy. Turn a potato into a potato chip. Um, you know, turn uh, dairy into cheesecake. Um, you know, again, dairy protein versus, you know, a, a plant protein. So, you know, I think that everybody agrees that fruits and vegetables and whole grains are good for you. Uh, it's just a matter of looking a little bit closer to see what you put with them that makes them unhealthy. When I was practicing traditional cardiology and would do a heart catheterization and we saw blockages in the coronary artery greater than 70%, then that person was referred for intervention. If it was three-vessel disease, most of the time those people referred for bypass surgery. And it was such that we did not let those people go home. So even if they came in for an elective heart catheterization after an abnormal stress test, um, they would not be allowed to go home. They would be referred immediately to coronary artery bypass surgery because we were afraid that their condition would destabilize while they were waiting at home and they would subsequently have a heart attack. 
And you can see right away the flawed thinking of it in some respect. Um, it wasn't like the 90% blockage or the 80% blockage developed that day. Um, people had been walking around with those blockages. Main, some of them were asymptomatic, not having any chest pain or shortness of breath, just had a routine stress test and it was abnormal. So they had no symptoms whatsoever. Some people may have had some symptoms but weren't having a heart attack. So you know, they would come in and, uh, you know, get a stress test or maybe be referred directly for heart catheterization if their symptoms were such that it sounded like it was their heart, you know, traditional chest discomfort when you exert yourself. So all those people were sent to bypass or angioplasty in a timely fashion. And we would pat ourselves on the back, and many cardiologists are still patting themselves on the back, for getting people in and getting this taken care of as quickly as possible and putting all these stents in and doing the bypass surgery and, and so forth. From a legal standpoint, if you were a doctor and sent somebody out with a 90% blockage to wait for their bypass surgery and then they had a heart attack, then obviously you would lose that lawsuit if somebody chose to sue because you knew there was a blockage and yet you were okay to wait. Again, assuming that that the artery was going to, something bad was going to happen because it was a ticking time bomb, so to speak. But many studies have shown in the recent past, and now a review actually has been published refuting that line of thought. After I became a plant-based doctor, um, we started treating people that had chest pain with eating greens. So we you know, four to six cups of greens, they chew the greens, it mixes with their saliva and the microbes, and you generate nitric oxide, and you generate, you open up these little collateral blood vessels, um, you improve blood flow down the narrowings, and the chest pain goes away, and people are able to walk, and the longer they do it, the more the plaque can go away. Um, I believe, and most people uh, following this line of thought believe the body can heal itself through just about anything given the proper nutrition and time to heal. But as physicians, we get very impatient, and as patients, we get very impatient and want to get things fixed right away. Um, so again, it leads to intervention. But with these studies, uh, again, um, looking back, it's not helped. It's not decreased overall mortality by putting stents in these 90% arteries. It's not uh, increased mortality, in, improved uh, longevity or decreased mortality by doing bypass surgery because the 90% blockers, the 80% blockers typically are very, very stable. They're very hard. They're blocked, but they're not, um, they're not likely to rupture anytime soon. The biggest culprit for problems are these 20% blockages, these very soft plaques in the arteries that are sometimes difficult to pick up. You can see them a little bit better with ultrasound, but those are the more unstable stable plaques, and nobody would do anything for those mechanically because they wouldn't be narrow enough, and putting some, doing some intervention would... Um, not outweigh the risk of, again, not doing anything for those because people weren't having any symptoms to start with. So they'd have a negative, if you have a 20% blockage, you have a negative stress test, you won't have any symptoms. So you can't make your symptoms any better and you can't make, um, theoretically, make somebody live longer that, you know, in that scenario. However, you know, the more diffuse the plaque is, the worse the prognosis is. 
But again, you don't know the duration of that ticking time bomb. So the best therapy in that case, med medical therapy always, always wins over uh, the risk of interventional therapy. And of course, when they talk about in the paper medical therapy, they talk about statins and PCSK9 inhibitors and acetamide and um, lowering glucose. Uh, through a variety of, of ways to improve insulin resistance and decrease inflammation that way to get people to do better. That um, all just comes back to plant-based nutrition is the, the best thing that you can do for cardiovascular disease to improve your prognosis. Now, if you're on, having ongoing chest discomfort and you're in the hospital and having a heart attack right then and there, then doing some intervention to improve blood flow to the heart muscle that's not getting enough blood flow, that, that can be life-saving. But otherwise, you're better off at changing your nutrition and reversing the plaques. The kicker is that if you're eating six cups of greens, but then you're going and having a steak with it, you're actually going to block the production of nitric oxide and you don't win as far as the overall battle. So we need to increase the good and decrease the bad, you know, to, to give people enough time to heal. It goes back to that garage theory that if the garage is blocked, if the garage is full of junk, coronary artery is full of junk, the best way to get rid of it is take things out and don't put things back in. If you take a box of Kleenex out, but you bring a big box of something else in, you're not making any headway. Same way with your, your blood vessels. Um, we need to improve blood flow, but not make it worse with the other things that we're eating. So I found that very refreshing that finally they look, we're looking at plaque and, and plaque burden as opposed to these high-grade lesions. So when you're referred for a calcium score, that calcium score is going to correlate more with stable lesions than it is the overall plaque burden. So it's going to be, uh, again, hard to predict um, who's in imminent danger. And the reality of it is probably no one is as long as they're not having chest pain at, at rest. So everybody has time to change their diet and get things, um, you know, to start going the right direction. But I think medicine in general um, has been guided by once a doctor sees something, it's hard not to intervene. So we get an x-ray and we see things, and the more x-rays that we get, MRIs, you know, scans and such, we see things that we can't unsee. There's, there's disease there, and to not do it, do something about it, um, is base, the basis for a malpractice suit, or, you know, it just makes... Um, Physicians very uncomfortable to sit and watch and hope that somebody will change their behavior, especially if they don't know what or how to tell them to change their behavior. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll say I put out there in January of 2023, um, before the 18th comes and everybody falls off the uh, I want to get more healthy wagon, uh, <laughs> that we should put these studies together. We know that doing a mechanical intervention is not going to do anything. We know that changing people's diet or a good diet makes things better. Yet we skip all that and we're looking for things that make us feel good for a short period of time, high sugar, high fat, high salt. But that's really not what the food is, is all about. 
We'd like our children to eat healthier, yet we're setting horrible examples of defining things as comfort food, eat when you want, graze all day, uh, not take time to sit down and, and have a meal, not to prepare something that looks good and tastes good that has, a, that has some thought behind it. So, uh, you know, again, I think this is a great uh, time to start, you know, connecting the dots. We are having a lot of positive feedback for our, from our 31-day Build Your Health program for January, and we're doing one step at a time, and every day we're adding these steps together. Uh, and, it's, and it's working out really good because at the end, people have 31 new th behaviors that they've added a day at a time that they can build on as opposed to, I've got to change everything right now. Um, so we're gradually kicking into it. And I think that we're going to keep these programs up with a variety of different things, including movement and, and more nutrition. So um, I think we'll do the next one in March, uh, which is National, National Nutrition Month. So stay tuned for ways you can participate. I think the other thing that people have to be careful of in January is quick fixes for old bad behaviors, you know, including movement. Um, when people start, you know, I'm going to start, you know, running 100 miles or I'm going to start doing things real quick, little tendons, um, we get tend to, people tend to get hurt very quickly, you know, boot camps and such. Um, so be mindful, um, little steps, progressive steps, something each day uh, helps to make um, those changes into a more active lifestyle. Uh, again, if you can just get time on your feet, uh, and some stretching, uh, it'll go a long way to help you with any of those other activities. I'm a huge proponent of using what you do already to add movement and mobility into. So I talked to a guy today that likes to fish. It's like, well, you can do your toe mobility exercises while you're fishing. Um, you can stretch your calves while you're standing up fishing. Uh, you can use things that you lift during your fishing as a weight training um, you know, and to do it with good posture, to have good posture when you fish. A lot of the quick fixes, putting orthotics in, heel pads, toe surgery, bunion surgery, if you don't fix the mechanics of your feet, the mechanics of your calf, it'll never change and make things better. So, um, you know, those are ways that you can incorporate daily activities and increase your mobility and your strength and not have to do big life upheaval, you know, changes in your schedule. So I hope you found the podcast interesting. Um, I had a great time being a mom-mom. Uh, I was worried that I have to be a doctor. Um, nobody wants to be a doctor if they're a mom-mom. And Caleb actually looks at me when Addie said, mom-mom's a doctor, and he didn't believe her. Um, Truth be it, Addie didn't believe it either when she was little. Um, you know, I'll tell one story out of, um, uh, out of school. She had a fever and she had a cold one, uh, upper respiratory tract infection. And it was, fever was going on two or three days. And she had a pretty high temperature. And I was doing some conservative things. And she said, don't you think you should take me to see a real doctor? So she didn't think I was a real doctor. Caleb didn't think I was, doesn't think I'm a real doctor, but I'm really okay with Caleb thinking I'm a mom mom, and I hope I never have to be a real doctor for Caleb. Uh, and I think if he's doing and eating what he's doing, uh, he's not going to need much in the way of real doctors either. And so I hope that you don't need much in, in the way of a real doctor, and I hope you get to be mom moms and, and, uh, and grandpas and uh, can enjoy activity with, with your grandchildren like I got to enjoy uh, activities with Caleb. So 
Have a good evening. Check out our website, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. Who knows? Maybe I'll change my name to mom on my email. But no, right now it's jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. Uh, we'd love to have you check out our practice. Join us uh, in our challenge or join us in uh, uh, the wellness practice. Again, the uh, marathon is in March. Um, if your training uh, is pretty good or you want to end, there's a relay, there's half marathons, there's a whole marathon down there. We'd love to, love to meet you. So thanks as always for listening. See you listening. See you next week.